Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Have you guys seen Arrested Development? Yes. Oh, British accent. <laughs> Mr. F. Mr. F. <laughs> For women only. Friends, listeners, country folk, lend me your ears. You're tuned into She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field one lady at a time. This season, we are discussing the ladies of power couples. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about Aline B. Saarinen, art and architecture critic, author and television journalist, and the woman who gave shape to the professional position of the modern architectural publicist. Mm. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. I'm excited. I'm Nerdiri Rivas, aware of the Ides of March. In Houston, Texas. Hey, I'm Jessica Rogers, not putting my purse on the ground, based out of Washington, D.C. Hi there, I'm Lizzie Brar, not stepping on any cracks in San Francisco. Mm-hmm, none of that bad juju over here. Mm-mm, no, superstitions abound. Yes. <laughs> All right, so for a quick disclaimer, the three of us, we're not historians. We're not even experts on this subject. We're just sharing stories about the information we find. So if we get our facts a little mixed up, forgive us, send us a comment, and we will all continue learning. You know, I'm always excited to share these stories, and Aline is no exception. There's going to be achievements, romance, name dropping, drama, all the things. Ooh, just a few of our favorite things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, time to start. All right. The time was March 25. 1914. The place, New York City. Aline Bernstein was born. March. Yeah, best month of the year. Her dad, Alan Milton Bernstein, ran an investment firm and her mom, Irma, was a painter. Both her parents were of German-Jewish descent and actually they were both painters. So Aline naturally leaned toward the arts. 
I love all these artsy influences she had. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When she was 17 years old, she graduated from the Ethical Culture Fieldston School in Riverdale in the Bronx. That is quite a name. Sounds very (laughs) fancy. I'm curious, like, is there a focus on ethics? Why is it ethical? (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I didn't look that up. I do know that it's a private school and it's a member of the Ivy Preparatory School League. Um, Nothing to do with Ivy League colleges. It's just a group of private schools in New York. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I thought maybe they were learning all about ethical cultures. (laughs) What are ethical cultures? I have no idea. That's why I wanted to know more about it. Okay. okay. Oh, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, according to Google slash Wikipedia slash the internet, the ethical movement was an outgrowth of the general loss of faith among the intellectuals of the Victorian era. A precursor to the doctrines of the ethical movement can be found in South Place Ethical Society, founded in 1793 as the South Place Chapel on Finsbury Square on the edge of the city of London. So it's basically like a religion and a movement founded by some dude named Felix Adler. Well, actually, that's the same dude that opened the school in 1878. It Mm. started as a free kindergarten for children of poor families, and it was called the Working Man's School. But then wealthy families heard how good the education was and they wanted in. So eventually the school started charging tuition and accepting children from any household. They got the name change to the Ethical Culture School (laughs) and the New York Society for Ethical Culture became their sponsor. Today, they award scholarships to about 20% of their students. So there you go. A brief history on the Ethical Culture School. There you go. Now now I know. Now you know. (laughs) Just what you were looking for today. It was just such an interesting name. I was like, I I have to know more. I tell you, we be learning. (laughs) We be learning a lot on this show. We learn so much. Yeah. So after she was done with the ethical culture school, (laughs) she moved on and she graduated in 1935 with a Bachelor of Arts degree from Vassar College. That actually was a very busy year for her. She enrolled in NYU's Institute of Fine Arts to study history of architecture. And she got married to Joseph H. Lukheim, a public welfare administrator. Ooh, this is about to get interesting. Busy, busy bee. (laughs) Two years later, she had her first son, Donald. And two years after that, Harry. And two years after that, in 1941... She graduated with a master's of arts degree. Okay, let me say that I can barely study for my exams and keep up with work. So I'm so impressed this lady and all the mothers out there raising their kids, going to school, doing their thing. I mean, keep going. That's beyond awesome. (laughs) Yeah. What? It is so impressive. And I agree. All the mamas out there are killing it. (laughs) It's crazy. Shout out to all the mamas out there doing it. I can't even imagine. I can barely take care of myself. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, all throughout her college years, she was very interested in journalism. So in 1944, she got a job with Art News Magazine and she became the managing editor from 1946 to 1948 when she left the job to join the New York Times as the associate art editor and critic. Uh, color me impressed. <laughs> yeah, Aline is over here climbing that ladder. Ooh, yeah. I wonder what kind of project she was able to cover. Ooh, good question, Jessica. 
The New York Times assigned her to report on the St. Louis Gateway Arch Competition winner. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Let's talk about that for a hot minute because we want to focus on Aline, but there's a little drama to dish about this competition winner. Oh, hey, spill that tea. <sighs> yes, let's get that tea. As I said, my tea, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. So at the time, there was this father-son architecture power duo, Eliel and Aero Saarinen. Ooh, yes. Eliel was a Finnish architect who eventually came to the States and worked on a lot of projects here. The National Museum of Finland, the Finnish Pavilion at the Paris 1900 World Fair, and the campus of the Cranbrook Academy, which was sort of like the U.S. Bauhaus. And he also taught there and became its president. We'll talk more about it in future episodes. Yeah. So his son, Aero Saarinen, went to Cranbrook Academy, too. Worked in his father's firm, taught at Cranbrook, and won furniture design competitions with his bestie, Charles Eames. Future episode alert. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So Arrow was working with his dad, but guess what? 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 When it was announced that there would be a competition for the Gateway Arch National Park, both Saranen submitted separate designs. Oh. And when the jury picked the design by E. Saranen, they called Eliel and announced him as the winner. So oh, no. Eliel is halfway through his celebratory bottle of champagne when the Steve Harvey of the story calls up <laughs> and says, oh, snap, so sorry, dude, but it's your son that won, not you. Whoops. Damn, talk about embarrassing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That is real unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. You would think that they would have been like, let's elaborate on the name. They both have the same first initial, but Mm -hmm. no, I guess. (laughs) And nobody got time for that. (laughs) But they do have time to call the wrong dude. That's right. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, but. This sounds like some great stuff for Aline's article. Yeah. Like, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my true. gosh. <laughs> Arrow submitted a design with his wife, sculptor Lily Swan Saarinen, which actually we're going to have to do a future episode on her. And also Arrow's mom, Loya Saarinen, is also a potential episode. She was a textile artist and a sculptor, too. Both of them. Loya and Lily collaborated with architects. So hopefully in the future, we're going to get a chance to talk more about that. We just can't today. There's too much to talk about today. Too much. But it does sound like such a creative household. Sounds fun. Yeah, the Saarinen's definitely had a lot happening. I think even Arrow's sister, Pipson, could be an episode. She was an industrial and interior designer. Ooh, fun. So when Aline was asked to write an article on the winner of the competition... Who did she get to write about? Arrow Saarinen. That's right. I see that you're paying attention. Good job. (laughs) Thank you. Well, Aline published articles on art, cultural trends, and modern architecture, too, especially the link between modern art and architecture. 
And she was really good at it. So good that she won the International Award for Best Foreign Criticism at the 1951 Venice Biennale. Ooh, bravissima. Si, brava. È vero. <laughs> I've no idea if the award had anything to do with it, but that same year, she divorced Joseph. <laughs> Here's where the drama comes. Oh my gosh, why such an evil laugh? Because it's about to be some mess. Come on. Her name wasn't Aline Luchheim. It was Aline Saarinen. That's what I'm excited to hear about. A new life is about to happen. Nergity, you got to give us more. All right. All right. Well, (laughs) she gets divorced, moves on, keeps killing it in her world, Mm -hmm. doing her thing, Chicka Wang. She... She won the Frank Jewett Mather Award for Best Newspaper Art Criticism in 1953 and three years later, the American Federation of Arts Award for the Best Newspaper Criticism. She just was collecting awards. Get it, girl. Ooh, wait. Okay, I see you, Aline. As you can imagine, she wasn't only a journalist, critic, award collector. She was also (laughs) a socialite. Ooh. Oh. Let me tell you something. If social media existed in the 1950s, she would have been what the kids today call an influencer. (laughs) (laughs) She would have had an Instagram story at a Philip Johnson garden party and a TikTok on a date with Edgar Kaufman Jr. That's right. Of the Falling Water Kaufmans. (laughs) I just imagine them doing a little boomerang, chewing with their little martini glasses. Like... (laughs) (laughs) don't you see it i could see it all (laughs) well you know what she would have found a follower in me okay i love it it's time we add some romance to this story well cue the meat cute it's 1953 she's about to go on a date with one of american theater's most important playwrights clifford odets but on the day of the date she went to Michigan to interview Aero Saarinen. By this time, Aero's dad had passed away and Aero had started his own firm. Now, some people say she volunteered, others say her editor told her to go. Who knows? Either way, she calls Clifford, asks for a rain check, and flies to meet Aero. And ladies, when these two people met, sparks flew. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's like you're writing a movie script for the beginning of a rom-com, a la How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. <laughs> or Love Hard. I oh, love yeah. it. Okay, but wait, didn't, so Aline didn't meet with him when she wrote about the co- about that competition back in the day? Oh, no, ma'am. She hadn't met him that time. So this was the first oh. time they would meet. Oh. I definitely thought they had met when she wrote about the St. Louis Arch. Uh-huh. Oh, no, no, no. Mm, okay. Okay. Plot twist. (laughs) Let me tell you a letter she wrote to him, remembering that time that they met. I remember the first time we were alone together, then sneaking into Cranbrook and the dark room and the black coat at the threshold and making love for the first time. Hurriedly, but so that we would both know this was only the first time. Then the drive to the airport, and I looked at you very intently and thought 
how much I wanted to see you again. Oh my gosh. I need some air. Like, Lizzie, now you understand my evil laugh from earlier. This is what I anticipated. Some mess. Some hot, juicy, in the dark room mess. <laughs> I mean, I know based on her name, but I just wanted to call you out for laughing at her then pain, you mm-mm, know? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Jessica just got ahead of herself. You know how That's she That's right. She did. She did. Okay, I mean, yes. But wait, what about his wife? You see, you see this mess, mess, mess. That's right. Mind you, Arrow is very much married to Lily Swan Saarinen, who, well, (laughs) at the time, was part of a power couple with Arrow himself, or so she thought. Yikes. (laughs) Poor Lily, honestly. Yeah, um, truthfully... As much as I love drama and how much I love a good story, I have to remember that these people are real and with real lives and real kids. So, Najee, what happened next? (laughs) So, Aline wrote the profile. Okay. It was called Now Saren in the Sun. Hmm. It was published by the New York Times Magazine on April 23rd, 1953. And it lives on the internet. I tried to read it, but I had to pay and join some sort of monthly membership and i mean we have a wonderful sponsor but it's only one right now so sponsors <laughs> please support the show so we can cover all our expenses and also pay for more research material yes please on another note this would be really interesting to compare that first article that she wrote about Saranen versus this now article you know, about the sun, because, I mean, you know, they got to know each other a little bit more intimately, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I actually found this other writer, Eva Hagberg, that quotes the article that I had to pay to read. So <laughs> I was able to read some of the article through Eva's article, if that makes sense. OK, so she wrote that Aline described Arrow as, quote, the most widely known and respected architect of his generation. And when talking about his buildings, Aline said, they interlock form, honest, functional solutions and structural clarity. (laughs) Honest, functional solutions? There's not an honest bone in that man's body. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He might want to work on some of that honesty into his personal life. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, we can separate the professional, like the architecture from the man. Sure. Just like we're forced to do with Mies. (laughs) True, true, true. (laughs) Well, it went both ways, lady, because let me tell you, Arrow was absolutely smitten with Aline. Y'all, there are... Thousands of letters between these two, and some of them get really steamy if you you catch my drift from before. (laughs) Y'all can look those up on the internet yourselves. I'm not going to read them to you because not only don't we have time, we also don't want to turn this episode into Fifty Shades of Saarinen. (laughs) (laughs) They live at the Smithsonian's Archives of American Art, so y'all have fun looking those up. Ooh. That might be near me. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Saranen. <laughs> yes, but on your own time, you know? Yes, yes. I keep thinking about Lillian. What's the situation with her? Did she find the letters? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Where is the original 
wife? Uh, well, Arrow eventually divorced her. Mm. He had to because almost a year after the article was published, Aline and Arrow were married in a secret wedding in February 1954. Mm-hmm. And Aline moved with him to Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, where his firm, Arrow Saarinen and Associates, was at. Then, in December of 1954, their son, Eames Saarinen, was born. Jeez. Okay, so for the record, I did the math. This wasn't a shotgun wedding, okay? But they (laughs) did just meet the year before. So, yeah. (laughs) Thank you for confirming that for us. I had to do it. Quick math. Quick math. (laughs) Um, The secret wedding is romantic. Okay. Yeah, it was, but... You know who didn't find it so cute? The wife. Mm. Lillian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lillian, Poor her Lillian. children. <laughs> yeah. Lillian, her children, Eric and Susan. Because there were kids in this story, okay? Oh, there were gosh. kids involved. Families. This, see, this is Jessica. This is where it gives me anxiety. Just like, <laughs> ooh. The cringe. But think about yes. the steamy letters, but still continue. I know, <laughs> but also the children. The children. The children. Their son, Eric, spoke about the experience of his parents' divorce and having to leave his home in Cranbrook and moving to Massachusetts. Mm. You know, not so great. Mm. So as a kid, his relationship with his father was not the best. Can you blame him? No. Yeah. And even though he thinks Aline was the biggest reason why his parents broke up, as an adult, he refers to her as the best stepmother. Hmm. He recognized that his father fell madly in love and that he saw Aline as his intellectual equal. And Aline honestly tried her best to be a good mother or stepmother to him and his sister. Wow. Yeah, that must be really hard for his kids and for Lily. But I'm glad that in the end, Aline and his kids were able to have an amicable relationship. Yes. All jokes aside, it seemed like maybe it worked out better in the end. Okay. Now back to the newlyweds. Unfortunately, after getting married, Aline had to stop writing on architecture to avoid any conflict of interest. I mean, that does make sense. But that's not going to stop her from working, though. Like, what happens next? Mm, True. She was able to keep working for the Times as an art critic under the name Aline B. Saarinen. That's right, everyone. Mrs. Saarinen is in the house. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She also became head of information service at Arrow's firm. When y'all hear that job title, what do y'all think she did at that firm? Aline knows all. (laughs) I have no idea. I was about to ask you. It sounds like HR meets (laughs) IT or something. Like, (laughs) what what is that? I don't know. Okay, I'll tell you. Her job responsibilities included. Editing speeches for Saarinen, creating publication materials, managing job and press opportunities, hiring photographers and coordinating who in the press would receive the photos, dealing in the competitive world of architecture publication editors, because, you know, she used to be one. Mm. Right. They each wanted to be the first to publish a project or get exclusives. Remember, like I said, she used to be a journalist and editor herself, so she had all the contacts and developed all the tricks. She would work her connections. She used to be in constant communication with people like Ada Louise Huxtable, episode 31. Woo-wee! <laughs> Woo-wee! 
when they were writing profiles on Saarinen so that she could influence what was written and how Arrow and his work were presented. Oh, okay. So she was basically PR, public relations. And marketing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Author-educated academic Eva Hargberg, which I mentioned earlier because thanks to her, I was able to access an article that I didn't have to pay for. (laughs) Focused her dissertation at the University of California, Berkeley on presenting how Aline was totally essential in Arrow's rise to fame. Mm. And she wrote a really great article about it. And I encourage everyone to find in our show notes this article and read it. In it, She shows how Aline was responsible for elevating Arrow's career, but also helped establish the profession of architectural publicist and how overlooked Aline is on both accounts. Hmm. So Aline was like Olivia Pope, but also just a great PR person that did her job really well. I mean, once again, ladies being forgotten for pushing forward or holding up men's careers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm. Consider this. After Aline's article, Now Saarinen, the Sun, and while she was head of information services, Arrow's presence in the press grew exponentially. Hmm. And if you think about it, if an architect is really well known and published, we assume it's because their work is really important. So like Lizzie said, she basically helped put Arrow even more on the map. I for sure think so. Yeah, I mean... And think about it. Maybe if media or publishers were focused on more work by women, we'd know more about them, right? Mm, yep. We wouldn't mm-hmm. have to make this podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is changing slightly today with modern female designers, but historically this hasn't been the case. And so stories of women like Aline and our other ladies have been lost or just not well circulated, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I thought that too when I read that quote. I'm glad that today there's more awareness of the lack of information out there about women in the field, and I hope it keeps getting better and we keep learning more and more about them and their work. Preach. Yeah. I mean, that's why we're here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get back to Aline kicking butt. In 1957, Aline won a Guggenheim Fellowship. Yeah. Okay. So... We briefly explained this back in episode 31 with Ada Louise Huxtable, who also won this fellowship. Um, But the Guggenheim Fellowship is a grant that is awarded annually to writers that have shown immense talent and appreciation of the arts. Way to go, ladies. Yeah, it was a big deal. And she used that money to write the best-selling book, The Proud Possessors, The Lives, Times, and Taste of Some Adventurous American Art Collectors. Basically, it was a bunch of biographies of American art collectors. I looked it up and it's pretty affordable on the Internet. What's affordable? <laughs> it's eight dollars on eBay, thrift books and Etsy. Oh, okay. I know what's going on my shopping cart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very sadly, at the height of their career together, Arrow got a brain tumor and died in 1961. Oh. Aline kept the firm running so they could finish the projects they had started. Mm. Oh, no. But I mean, at least she knew the ins and outs of the firm so that she could get things done. Right. Mm. 
Right. I mean, yeah. And well, she was the head of information services. So I would like to take a second, though, to point out that if it wasn't for women like Aline that we are talking about this season, some of these projects might not have been completed if it wasn't for their partners to continue executing their visions. Hmm. Interesting. So true. A year later, the book Aero Saarinen on his work was published by Yale Press with Aline as an editor. I wonder if it's $8, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, that book was not as affordable as the Proud Processors. Okay. <laughs> of course not. Okay, I guess I'll be adding this book to my wish list instead. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that she made herself very busy in order to keep her sanity after the love of her life passed away. Mm. Yeah. During the 1960s, she was on the Design Advisory Committee for the Federal Aviation Administration, the U.S. Commission of Fine Arts, and the New York State Council of the Arts. And she became a TV celebrity. What? TV? A TV celebrity? Doing what? Mm-hmm. Aline appeared on TV discussing art on a show in 1961. The episode was popular, so she was asked to do it again. In 1963, she was hired as the art and architecture editor for NBC's Sunday show and art critic for the Today Show. And she was real good at it. People thought that she had an original and charming style. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they did. Aline was out there doing all the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so like I still watch these shows today and they're fun and I like them. (laughs) (laughs) So imagine then. Yeah. I would have loved it. (laughs) She liked being on TV so much that she decided to expand. She starred in specials and documentaries such as The Art of Collecting. In 1964, President Johnson offered her the post of ambassador to Finland and she turned him down. Mm. I think it was because she wanted to keep working on TV because in October, she became a correspondent for NBC News, making her the third NBC woman reporter after Pauline Frederick and Nancy Dickerson. I thought that was so cool. I mean, she was a total pioneer. (laughs) Whoa, that is so cool. Also, talk about clout to be asked to be the ambassador to Finland. Yeah. What? This is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm married to a Costa Rican. Can I be ambassador of Costa Rica? Right? I mean, sign me up. (laughs) Speaking of her being a pioneer, she started a show called For Women Only. On the show, there was a panel of experts that answered questions from the audience. The questions were usually on women's issues, and they took on hard subjects like birth control and abortion. But so you're telling us that she was the first Oprah or Ellen? This lady did it all. I'm not sure if she was the first, but she definitely came before Oprah and Ellen. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, that's, yes. like, the but show yeah. you're describing to me is yeah. like, that's what it sounds like. She was Oprah and Ellen before Oprah and Ellen. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I know, right? <laughs> Aline left the show in 1971 to be the chief of NBC's Paris News Bureau, which made her the first woman to run a network foreign bureau. What didn't Aline do? And Paris? That is not a bad option. 
Mm-mm, I'm telling Sounds you. like a dream job to me. And guess who took over for women only? None other than Barbara Walters. <laughs> Say what? Wait, what? That's right. Oh my gosh, I'm telling you. She is the beginning of the Oprah Ellen type of TV show. Of everyone. Aline kept on going as chief until July 13, 1972, when she passed away from a brain tumor at 58 years young. Uh -uh. Oh, no. Okay, also, why so many brain tumors? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What I didn't realize was that she was so young and she was able to accomplish so much. Yeah, I am also shocked that she did all of that in only 58 years. I was not tracking the years. And when you said that number, that was... (laughs) I assumed she was much older. Yeah. Um, But I think it goes to show that she was such a hard worker and really determined because she accomplished that much in such a short lifetime. Mm -hmm. I know. I was shocked, too, when I realized that she did all that and she died at 58. I was like, what? Wow. I know. Wow. Well, let's pause here and hear a word from our sponsor. Hey, y'all. Are you tired of using outdated and clunky software to manage your firm? Or do you feel frustrated wrangling all of your spreadsheets to get a clear view of where your projects stand today? Well, Monograph is here to help. Designed by architects for architects, Monograph allows you to track your time, your projects, and your budgets in real time, with their awesome money Gantt, you can immediately see whether you're under or over budget. Need to adjust your projects week to week? Their tool resource allows you to reallocate your team's time and track its impact on your remaining budget. Learn what else Monograph can do to help you operate your firm at monograph.com. Be proactive with Monograph. Visit monograph.com today. Today, we are also sponsored by NCARB's Analysis of Practice Study. NCARB's Analysis of Practice Study is your opportunity to shape the future of architecture, to share your thoughts on how to improve the profession and how architects can work and collaborate better. Whether you're an architect or you just work with architects, NCARB wants to hear from you. So make sure your voice is heard. Yeah. So contribute to the Analysis of Practice Study today. Sign up at ncarb.org backslash AOP. Thanks again to our sponsors for supporting our show. And now back to the show. <laughs> All right. It's carotid time. Take it away, Lizzie. Ooh. Okay. A karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. Each episode will choose a karyatid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. This week's karyatid is... (laughs) Katharina Plot! Yay! Katharina Plath is the founder and principal of the public relations firm Head in Hand PR. Katharina is from Germany and she has an MBA in economics and interior design. She also has a master's degree from the Royal Academy of Arts in London. Katharina has lived and worked in Hamburg, London, Milan and Paris and now New York. Her website says Katharina founded Head in Hand PR so that she could combine business with pleasure to connect people in the art and design professions on an international level. To me, 
That sounded like something Aline would do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it does. Yeah, definitely. That sounds like a great idea. Y'all, it was a little bit hard for me not to spend three hours going through all their client websites because they have like this this really nice website and you can click on each of her client websites and those are mm-hmm. so pretty and interesting. So <laughs> um, a lot of time was spent on that. <laughs> yes. Head and hand represent and market design brands, real estate and yachting firms, architects and interior designers, among other creatives. <laughs> okay, what do you think a yachting firm is? Are they designing them, selling them, refurbishing them? Well, I think that they'd be designing them. You know, there is a lot of money in yachting, in the building and the designing of them. And according to the hit Bravo TV show, Below Deck, it's also pricey to charter a boat. So you can make a lot of money working on a yacht. Just saying. We all know that Jessica loves boats, right? And she wanted to design boats. I like boats. That's right. That's what we learned. I like, this season. I like yeah. TV shows. I like drama. And I like I boats. I like boats. I I feel like that's what your your little profile should say. Yeah, your little bio. bio. Hi, I'm Jessica Rogers and I like boats. (laughs) Okay. Well, another thing Katarina has in common with Aline are their love stories. Katarina met her now husband, Paul Kaminsky, at a wedding. At the time, Katerina had another boyfriend, but when she met Paul, she realized he was the one. Okay, I like how you make it this connection too. Professional and personal life connections. Ow. That's right. <laughs> it wasn't easy. Paul was in the U.S. while she was in Europe. They met up a few times a year in different cities and ran up very expensive phone bills, according to the article <laughs> I was reading. But... It was worth it. Eventually, she moved to the U.S., married her love, and started her killer PR firm. I love it. She got to be with her man and have a killer career. Just like Aline. That's right. (laughs) Yes. You know what? There's been a lot of romance today. I think it's only fitting we celebrate that at the Agora today. What do you think? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let me tell you. In Greek society, the Agora was the central meeting place of the city where news was shared. So now we're going to share some news from the listeners at the Agora. Yay! We want to congratulate all the people that have shared their recent engagement and nuptials with us, like designer Anna W. and Dustin W. Let me just tell you, these two are a fun and fabulous couple, so congrats. (laughs) And also, my big brother, Gerardo, and my Mm. new sister, Marlies. Hey. So congratulations to you. Woo! We are super happy that they had a chance to celebrate their love with their family and friends and that they shared it with us. And now we share it with you. This is great. We really want to continue to share great news from our listeners. If you have news to share, big or small, please send them to our email, shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Let's celebrate your accomplishments. Before we say so long, farewell, I'll be saying goodbye. We want to say thank you to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, much obliged to all of you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Aline and Katerina along with our banter and that you are inspired to find out more 
about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media, you ask? Well, that's curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows, 10 plus, at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you liked it, please help us spread the word. Tell your publicist, your marketing team, your soulmates, tell them all. Give mm-hmm. us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep listening and learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Until then, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Elil and Aero Saarinen. Elil was... Oh, did we ever look up how to say this guy's name? Gosh, I, it has to be Elil. <laughs> I always what? thought it was Elil. Oh, crap. Let's... Okay, fine. Let's YouTube this. Today's episode was brought to you by YouTube because we don't know how to say any of these words. <laughs> Elil. This guy just said Elil. Elio, that's what I was saying. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.